0: Good morning everybody, fantastic, lovely to see your smiling faces today and uh, I want to introduce you to Dr Tina Bailey, Tina's been staying with Christy and me and the kids during the week, Um, she is from down south in the USA, I love doing that accent, (laughs) it's like so much fun y'all, it's so good, but she and her husband are working and ministering in Indonesia Now, and it's uh, through uh, their work and our work over there over the years that we've met Tina. And uh, it's lovely to have you here. So I'm going to read a little bit. Oh, yeah, you can put your hands together. That's fine. I'm going to read a little bit of her uh, bio and so you know uh, what this lady brings. And then during my sermon today, Tina is going to paint. All right. So she's going to paint in relation to the theme today. Uh, which is on forgiveness. This is the last message in the Lord's Prayer. And so um, you can either watch Tina or me, or you can listen to me and watch Tina, uh, or a combination, Uh, just just enjoy, okay? And uh, so Dr. Tina Bailey is a visual and performing artist and an ordained minister working cross-culturally She holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree from the Savannah College of Art and Design, as well as Master's degrees of Communications and of Religious Education. She holds a Doctorate in Art and Spiritual Formation. Tina has been involved in the Crescendo Summer Institute since its beginning, teaching and coaching singers and musicians in stage presence and movement. She also leads daily sessions of Lectio Divina. She studied dance at the Francis Lee School of Dance and the Margot Dean School of Ballet and has extensive experience in liturgical dance. She performed on stage as a member of the company Theatre Group from 1991 to 1995. Since moving to Asia in 1996, she has studied several Indonesian forms of dance as well as traditional Balinese painting, batik and Balinese gamelan music. Life in Asia and the Plight of the Oppressed have influenced her approach to visual arts. She enjoys helping people discover their creative potential through coaching and mentoring. Tina has used visual and performing arts in response to traumatic situations, including the Bali bombings, the Asian tsunami, and to her experience with West African refugees and the refugee crisis in Iraq. She holds workshops and leads contemplative retreats on creativity and imagination, incorporating drama, dance, music, visual arts, improvisation and spiritual formation. She helps prisoners to develop skills in painting, drawing and dance through mentoring in an arts program in Bali's Korobakan prison. She lives in Bali with her husband Jonathan where they co-founded the Nawastu Art Community and uh, Tina was telling me last night how Nawastu is is a word based on the uh, word for the spikenard, the uh, ointment, that Mary anointed Jesus' feet with, and so that beautiful act of forgiveness and grace that led to this wonderful aroma of the presence of God, that's uh, the basis of your magnificent community uh, over there in Bali. So it really is an absolute delight to have Tina here with us today, and so I invite you to come and uh, begin your uh, masterpiece You've got 30 minutes. <laughs> you got 30 minutes for a masterpiece. <laughs> no pressure at all. Um, Tina and I were chatting about this on the way down, because like, uh, she painted last night at Cheltenham and this morning at Cheltenham where I've been preaching and now uh, uh, here at Frankston as well. And so normally something like this would take her several hours, and then she'd go away and then come back maybe the next day or two and look at it from a distance and appraise and change and all of that, But because she does not have that luxury here this morning, but I know that as you watch her develop this, you're going to absolutely be so blessed at, uh, at uh, the creativity. And you know, creativity is something that we want to increase here at Bayside Church. If you have a look at our vision booklet, and I do encourage you, you know, those of you who are part of this church community, make sure you've got a copy of that and read it from time to time. It doesn't have to be every day, but maybe a couple of times a year. Read it and just refresh the vision of this church in your mind and pray into it, because that's something that God has given us and we're working toward, um, you know, as we embrace the future. We celebrated last week, we celebrated 25 years of Bayside, and it's been a great 25 years, but we don't dwell in the past. We want to, we want to look forward, like, you know, in Chris Tomlin's song, God's Great Dance Floor. He says, the future begins. And so the future begins. We've got a wonderful future as a church here in the city of Frankston. And uh, God's got some awesome stuff in store for us. And we want to embrace it with both hands, don't we? Yeah. Amen. And so um, have, a, have a read of that. Creative arts is a very big part um, of our future at church. And not just singing and music, as important as those are, but drama, dance, poetry, art, all the sort of forms of of creativity we want to see developed. And so it gives me great pleasure this morning to announce that uh, Nicole Patsika is going to be our creative arts director at Bayside. If you want to just stand up, Nicole. Most of you would be aware that Jacob Cunningham, Jacob and Camille have accepted a position at PennCC, which is their old church. And uh, they've been with us for seven years, and so they're going to be. We're going to be praying for them next weekend, um, at, on uh, Saturday night at, at our Cheltenham service, um, and then at the end of April they're going to be taking up that role there. Um, and so we've advertised, and we've interviewed, and Nicole. Ticks every box, and so uh, she. I'll when we pray for you officially in the middle of April, I'll share a little bit more about your experience and your background and everything. But uh, Shungu and, and Nicole are a wonderful part of our community here, are they not? And uh, we believe God's brought them into uh, Bayside Church for such a time as this. So, someone said to me uh, the other day, said, You're not going to steal her and take her up to Cheltenham, are you? And the answer to that is no, not completely. <laughs> So, Nicole will still be here most Sunday mornings, all right? Jacob was every other week. He'd be Cheltenham-Frankston, Cheltenham-Frankston. Most Sunday mornings, Nicole will be... I think we, we're going to steal you once a month, I think, for Cheltenham on a Sunday. But the rest of the time, she will be here and, uh, and working strongly between the two campuses and developing creative arts. And so, if you've got an area of creativity uh, in, in you that God has given you, watch this space, Okay? And uh, Nicole's going to be chatting with you in time to come and really developing that whole area. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, if you would, please. We're going to read um, as we wrap up the Lord's Prayer series. If you've missed any of these messages, uh, they're all on the Bayside Church website, baysidechurch.com.au. You'll find messages, message notes, audio and video. And uh, this is the last of them. Now, the message notes did not upload, for whatever reason, to the Uversion Bible app, and so, if you normally use that, you won't be able to today. You will find the message notes under the media button on the Bayside Church website, uh, or you can take your own notes. And so, Matthew chapter six, verses seven to fifteen, and we're going to um, we're going to read this. Matthew chapter six, verse seven: When you pray, Jesus said, "Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words." Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, or the bread that doesn't run out. We looked at a couple of weeks ago. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then in verses 14 and 15, Jesus goes into a little bit more detail on that statement regarding forgiving and um, and being forgiven. He says in verse 14, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I've called this message today your travel essentials. Uh, As we're going through the journey of life there's a couple of things that we need to take with us every day, and uh, that's forgiveness and deliverance. Uh, forgiveness, forgiving uh, ourselves, forgiving one another, and, uh, and deliverance, deliver me from temptation, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil, or deliver me from the evil One. And uh, I'll write up the second section of this message as a blog for you, Lead Us Not Into Temptation, because I want to spend the time that we have today, uh, about half an hour, I want to focus on forgiveness because I think this is so important. So I'm going to focus just on uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive um, our, our debtors. And I've got to tell you, if you're going to stay at Bayside Church for any length of time, you're going to need forgiveness and you're going to need to forgive. If you're anything like me, You're fine when you're on your own. (laughs) I don't need forgiveness when I'm on my own, right? i got to tell you as well, I know this sounds like bragging, but I'm going to do it anyway. When I'm on my own, I am full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Like I've arrived, I've got it, you know, I'm full of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, self-control. I tick every box when I'm on my own and then I go home and they ruin it. Have you noticed that? Like you're all good. And then you get home or you get to church and everyone ruins it for you. Suddenly you're not as joyful anymore. But that's the thing, isn't it? With the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we we only need it when we're in a situation where we need to draw upon it. When when everything's great, I don't need joy because I've got it. It's only through the difficult times of life that I need to draw deeply from that well, drawing on the joy of the Lord. I'm fine on love until I'm with some people. And then I find myself because some people are not as easy to love as other people. And so it's in those situations that we need to draw up some love out of the endless supply. And sometimes that person is your husband or your wife, right? You need to draw up from the endless well of the Holy Spirit and bring up some love. Same with patience, same with long-suffering, same with self-control, same with forgiveness. And so if you're going to stay here long enough, you're going to need to be forgiven and you're going to exercise forgiveness. Now, some people, of course, they, when they get offended in a church, rather than work through the conflict or the difficulty, rather than work through the whole issue and process of forgiveness, they just leave and plant themselves somewhere else. Well, I've got news for you. Because if you do that, time will tick along very nicely for a while. You'll have a honeymoon period in that new church because you don't know anyone and, and everything's fine. But after you stay there for a little while, you'll start going deeper in relationships and time will come that you will be offended or you will offend. And so you have a choice. And I would encourage you, rather than, you know, being one of these spiritual butterflies that just literally flits from church to church to church and the city of Frankston is full of people like that, unfortunately... Why don't we just make a decision to uh, stick it out with one another? Thank you. One person agrees. (laughs) It's going to be a very small church service next Sunday. (laughs) But the three of us are going to have a wonderful time. Let's try that one again. Rather than going to another church when we get offended, how about we stick it out together here? Oh, that's the Bayside Church I know and love. And so forgiveness, we've got to work on forgiveness together. So um, let's spend a few minutes on this. First of all, I want to say a few things about forgiveness. I've got five things. I'm going to touch on them really, really quickly. And these are very important as we look at this subject of forgiveness. So number one, there has been some very poor teaching on the subject of forgiveness over the years by the church. I have heard some awful things uh, said to people, um, women in particular, who find themselves in situations of domestic abuse, domestic violence, and they've, uh, they've gone to their pastor or to a church leader, and the response has been something like this, well, you just have to go and submit. Well, I'd like to take that church leader and stick him in that situation and see how he goes submitting to verbal abuse, abuse or, or violence uh, and see how he goes with that. Uh, well, he's apologised, so you have to forgive him. No, that's not the case, as we'll see in just a moment. If you find yourself in a situation like that, whether you're a man or a woman, you get yourself out of that situation as quickly as you possibly can and get yourself into a place of safety. Yeah. That is not an issue of, of forgiveness. That person, they might beat you and then say, sorry, but it doesn't mean you keep yourself in that situation of danger. I would counsel you at least to have a temporary separation while you work things through, if at all possible, which sometimes it is and sometimes it is not. The second point flows in from that. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to put yourself back into a hurtful situation. And sometimes we think, you know, someone's hurt us in some way, uh, and so, but they've now apologized, so I have to forgive them, and I then put myself straight back into that hurtful situation. No, you don't. Especially if, the, if, if, if it's happened more than once. Sometimes I hear people use Jesus' statement, you know, or just turn the other cheek. Say, well, you know, they hurt me, so I'm just going to turn the other cheek and let them hurt me again. That's got nothing to do with forgiveness, and it's got everything to do about not um, uh, retaliating. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, if someone hurts you, don't retaliate. It doesn't mean you stay in that situation so they can hurt you again and again and again and again just don't retaliate. Number three, forgiveness isn't forgetting. Only God can do that. Again, I've heard people say, well, just forgive and forget. That is not something that's that easy to do. Now, some of us find it very easy to forget. I forget a lot of things, especially things that Christy said to me. (laughs) In in the early days of our marriage, uh, Christy would, uh, I would, you know, she'd say something and I'd go, I don't know about that. And she said, I told you about that. And at that point, I would start to argue. I'd say, no, you didn't. And she would say, yes, you, uh, yes, I did. And I'd say, no, you didn't. And then it would kind of spiral down from there. So one of the things I have learned, and this is, this is just for you, this is a word for you, Rod, because I see you nodding and agreeing. This is really good, and it works every time. OK, it goes something like this, all right? Um, I'm sure you told me, but I have no recollection of it. Would you tell me again? Bingo. Yes. Some of you just came to church to hear that today. I have no recollection of that, sweetheart. Please remind me what you said. Thank you. And then there's no argument. It's wonderful. But so we do forget on certain things, but we can't always forget the hurts of life. They're they're there. And just because you remember it doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. So forgiving is not forgetting. Number four, forgiveness is a process rather than an event. And so sometimes, you know, we, we put ourselves under so much pressure because a hurtful thing's happened and all these emotions and hurt is stirred up on the inside and then we bring ourselves under pressure and condemnation thinking, oh, I've got to forgive, I've got to forgive, I've got to forgive. And you're trying to do it now rather than working it through as a process over a period of time. It's not always an event. Sometimes it is. If it's a minor thing, I just go, oh, no, don't worry about it. It's okay. And I forget all about it and I don't hold any hurt in my heart toward that person. But other times, there's deep hurt, and it might take days, weeks, months, or sometimes even years. And it doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. It just means you're still working through the outflow of that or the outcome of it um, as a process. And then number five, a person has the choice of when and how they forgive. Now, this is really important because especially if you're a leader, or a counsellor, or you're the sort of person that people often come to, to share their experiences of life, be careful that you don't try and answer deep situations with Christian cliches. We need to be able to have a safe community here where people can share with one another without being fobbed off with statements like, just forgive them it's so easy, isn't it? Just forgive them. Move on. What does that mean? Or, it'll be okay. What a stupid thing to say. Someone's bearing their soul to you and and they're sharing some deep hurt with you and you say, it'll be okay. What are they supposed to say then? Oh, thank you. I feel so much better now. It'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, maybe it will be okay, maybe it won't be okay. Some things are not resolved the way we would like them all to be resolved in this life anyway. And we need to actually learn with unresolved situations and bring the grace and presence of God into those things. Sometimes it is okay and sometimes it's not. Um, The other one that really annoys me is cheer up. You're going through a difficult time and someone says to you, cheer up. And then there's the last one here that you never say Especially husbands, again, this is for you. Never say this to your wife if she's a bit worked up. Never say, calm down. <laughs> Am I right, Shungu? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I found the opposite takes place. <laughs> I have <laughs> discovered that very early in my uh, married life when Christy was a bit worked up about something, and I said, oh, just calm down. She didn't. (laughs) Calm down has the opposite result. You know, I didn't see Christy for about two weeks after I said that. (laughs) And then after two weeks, I was just able to open one eye enough to be able to see her. Calm down. So there's a few things about forgiveness. Now, let me define for you what forgiveness is. What does the Bible mean? when it uses this word, forgive. Now, the Bible uses four Greek words that have various connotations of forgiveness. The one Jesus uses here is Ephesus, and it's translated in a variety of ways in the New Testament. Um, Isn't that magnificent, by the way? Y'all are doing a wonderful job there, sister. (laughs) Love it. So there's four Greek words um, for for forgiveness, and the one that Jesus uses here in the Lord's Prayer is Ephesus, which is only translated forgive and forgiven in this part of the New Testament. Only in the Lord's Prayer is thesis translated as forgive. Everywhere else in the New Testament, it is translated to leave or to have left. So I often wonder, you know, why is it that the translators decided to translate it here as forgive And everywhere else in the New Testament, they've translated it to leave or to have left. And when you think about what forgiveness actually is, to leave or to have left is what it really is because it comes back to that um, retribution or or to take action. If someone hurts you, your your, uh, initial reaction is, I want to hurt you back. Isn't that right? That's why Jesus taught us to turn the other cheek. He said, if someone hits you, turn the other cheek. Don't hit them back. And that's what forgiveness is. You've hurt me, I want to hurt you back, but I leave or I have left my natural human inclination to get you back for what you did to me. That's what forgiveness is. It's not forgetting. It's not any of those other things. And that might be a choice that you make on a regular basis because if the hurt is really, really deep, you might say, I'm making a choice today. Everything within me, everything in my human nature wants to hurt you back, wants to give you the five-fold ministry of Jesus. I want to get you back, but I am making a choice because I forgive to leave my right to get even behind me. And I make that choice again. That actually is very freeing, church, because you still remember it. You might still feel hurt by it. You've deliberately not put yourself back into a situation where you can be hurt again, but you've left your right to get even with them. If that's the case, then that is what forgiveness is. The Hebrew word that is used um, to translate that Greek word, Ephesus is yobel, Y-O apostrophe B-E-L. And it's the word that's used in the Old Testament for jubilee. Every seventh year, if you look at it in Deuteronomy chapter 15, every seventh year in Israel was a Sabbath year, and then every 50th year was a year of jubilee. And in the jubilee, in the Yobel, all the debts were cancelled. So if you owed something, or if someone owed you, or whatever, wouldn't that be wonderful? You know, you get a call this week from from your bank that lets you know that it's a year of jubilee and they've just cancelled your mortgage How good. That's what happened in Israel. What a wonderful way to operate a nation. So every 50th year, that's right, bring it on. Um, Every 50th year, everything would be cancelled. If you were a slave, you'd be set free. Everything went back to the way it should be. And, and there's a beautiful concept here that the Lord brings us into this magnificent jubilee. Jesus talked about it when He started His ministry in a synagogue in, in, um, in His hometown, and He read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And then he goes on and talks about setting the captives free, um, releasing the prisoners, uh, healing those who are bruised or damaged in life. And then right at the end, he says, and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of God's favor. That word again in the Hebrew is yobel. It is to declare a perpetual jubilee. And so in Jesus Christ, we we have this perpetual jubilee where debts and debtors are, are set free. It's a wonderful truth. The the closest thing we have to it in our society is an amnesty. Back in the 90s, uh, after the Port Arthur Arthur massacre, uh, uh, our then Prime Minister John Howard declared a gun amnesty. And during those uh, months, if you had any illegal firearms, you could hand them back in without any penalty whatsoever. So if you had illegal handguns or shotguns or semi-automatics or you could have a surface-to-air missile or a bazooka. If you had anything during that time that was illegal and not registered, you could take it in to a drop-off point and you could just leave it there. Now normally, if you were caught with something like that, you would be uh, found guilty and then you would be punished for having an illegal firearm. But during an amnesty, you can just hand it back in. Oh, by the way, here's my three uh, unregistered handguns, my semi automatic. Oh, and by the way, I just found this bazooka in the shed. And you just hand it over, and they go, Oh, thank you so much. Have a lovely day. And that's what Jesus has ushered in. He said, I've come in to announce the Yobel, the Jubilee, the acceptable year of God, the year of God's favor. I have brought a perpetual amnesty. And so during this season, the forgiveness of God is that doesn't matter what we have done or not done in life, um, we can bring those things and hand them in because of Jesus. And there is no punishment because Jesus has taken our punishment for us through his death and resurrection. Isn't that good news? So, what's the difference between debts and sins? I'm glad you asked. Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 and and, and verse uh, 14. Jesus uses two separate words here. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then in verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So debts, debtors, and sins. Let's look, spend a few minutes looking at these, these two things. Debts, first of all. Debts are unfulfilled obligations. They're the things that we should have done, but we left them undone. We often refer to these things as the sins of omission, the things that we have omitted to do that we should have done. James talks about this in chapter four and verse 17 of his letter. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Jesus talks about debts or the sins of omission in a couple of his parables. In the Good Samaritan, he talks about this man who was beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And the first two people that walk past are religious leaders. They're on their way either to the temple or from the temple. And they look at this man and keep going. They didn't hurt him in any way. They didn't beat him up. They didn't rob him. But they still were wrong. They still, uh, they had a debt that they owed to this man. And that's what Jesus is teaching. They owed him time. They owed him their attention. They owed him maybe some money in looking after this man, of bringing him back to a place of safety and nursing him back to health. But they failed to do so. And so they had a sin of omission. We see the same in the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. It tells us there that the people that are represented by the goats, they didn't, they didn't steal the food of the hungry. They didn't take the clothes of the people who were improperly clad. They didn't hurt them in any way. Uh, they didn't harm them, but they didn't help them either. And that's why they were wrong. They failed to do something that they should have done. It was in their power to give them food. It was in their power to give them clothing. They chose not to, and so they had a debt that they owed these people Our sins of omission, our debts are the times we could have helped, could have offered compassion, could have made a difference, but we failed to do so. And so this part of the Lord's Prayer could read something like this. Forgive us for the things we should have done but left undone, as we also have forgiven the things others should have done for us but failed to do. That's debts. What about sins? Sins is the Greek word paraptouma, and it should be translated as trespasses. That is things that we shouldn't have done, either in thought, word, or deed, but we did do them. They're the sins of commission, the things that we have committed, not omitted, but committed. And uh, a better way to translate it, trespasses, or crossing a line. The times that we have crossed a line that we shouldn't, have crossed. The first recorded human sin was a sin of commission. It was when Adam and Eve, the first humans, were created and God put them in this garden, this beautiful garden, and he gave them freedom. He said, this garden is for you. Look after it, tend it, keep it beautiful. You can go anywhere you want to. You can can eat all of the fruit, enjoy it all. You can touch all of the trees, just not that one. What do they do? They touch that one. That's human nature, isn't it? We've been eating that fruit ever since. Especially if you've got children, you know how true this is. You can do any of this, just don't touch that. Oh, my goodness. What will they do? And what do we even do as adults sometimes? We know. Don't say that. Don't do that. Don't go there. And yet, we say it, do it, go there. Why is that? It's human nature right from the very beginning. It's a sin of commission. It's a trespass. There's a line there, and we cross the line. When I was growing up in England, I I was born in England when I was very young. And, uh, and, and I uh, moved out to Perth with my family when I was 12. My, my mum and dad were 10-pound poms. They uh, flew 10 pounds each, and, uh, and the kids flew for free. So we left London Heathrow, Heathrow in 1971 and uh, arrived in Perth. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm so glad uh, that we did. But uh, I've got some great memories in my first 12 years. I was born in um, uh, just north of London, and then we moved to East London for quite a while. Part of my family, by the way, were very, very posh. The Buckinghams, Uh, they lived in Buckinghamshire, and they spoke frightfully well. And then there was my mum's side of the family, who didn't. So they were all cockneys. My mum's side, my little nana, who was four foot eleven, and never could remember my name. She used to call me Boy, with this beautiful London accent. Come on, boy, get your dinner, boy. And so they were cockneys, and, and they were beautiful people, salt of the earth. But they all talked like Jamie Oliver. You know what I mean? Bit of this, bit of that, lovely jubbly. And uh, so that's what we were like in in, in East London. Anyway, um, my uh, friends or mates, although we didn't call them that, they were pals or chums back in those days. My pals and my chums and I, we had an orchard not far away from where we all lived. Well, we didn't have the orchard. There was an orchard there. (laughs) And, of course, as eight, nine, ten-year-old boys, the temptation was too great. And so all the way around this apple orchard... Uh, was a big fence, and on a regular basis, there were signs like this No trespassing, or trespasses will be prosecuted. What they're saying there is, Don't cross the line. This land doesn't belong to you. These apples don't belong to you. Keep out. You're okay as long as you're on this side of the fence, but don't climb over the fence. Don't steal the apples. Well, that's red rag to a bull to a 10 year old bunch of boys. And so on a regular basis, we did something, and if anyone's here from Britain, you'll remember something called scrumping. scraw scrumping, if you come from up north, you know what I mean, <laughs> I by gum, scrumping. So we'd go scrumping on a regular basis, and uh, that is climbing over the fence once the coast was clear, and we'd go into the orchard, and we'd eat as many apples as we possibly could, and once we'd stuffed ourselves full of this guy's apples, we would stuff our pockets and our bags and whatever, and then climb back over the fence and run away. Now, we never, ever did get caught, but that was trespassing. We were going into territory that we should never have gone into. We were crossing a line, and if we were caught, we would have been prosecuted. Around the same time, we're talking around kind of 1966, uh, Walt Disney discovered Winnie the Pooh. A.A. Milne had been writing Winnie the Pooh for 40 years, since 1926, and, uh, but Disney put out their first colour movie of Winnie the Pooh. And one of my favourite, my favourite character is Eeyore. But one of my favourite characters as well is Piglet. Now, Piglet is very cute, little pig. He lives in a house in a beech tree in the 100-acre wood. And outside the house is a sign. Now, I believe that we have that picture. Um, so there you go. There's owl sitting on the sign. And it says, Trespassers will. And in the story, Piglet tells the account of how trespasser's will is actually short for trespasser's William, which is the name of his grandfather. (laughs) And the whole story kind of is spun from there. It's hilarious because we all know that the sign really should read trespasser's will be prosecuted. And it's the same with God. He's given us His Word. His Word gives us the boundaries of life. Anywhere you go within the boundaries is fine. The freedom that we have as Christian people is vast. It's the same freedom that God gave to the first humans, put us, put put them in a beautiful garden and said you can go everywhere you want to, you can enjoy everything you want to, just don't touch that. And it's the same here in the New Testament, God has given us guidelines in His Word and He says anything you do within these guidelines is fine, you've got complete freedom, just don't trespass don't go outside the lines because when you do you get prosecuted and the result is not good and so we need to understand that with one another don't cross the line with other people but when other people or if you cross the line with someone then forgiveness is needed either to be given or received and so Jesus teaches us to pray Forgive us our trespasses, for we also forgive everyone who has trespassed or crossed the line with us. Now, the good news, and I'm going to finish with this, the good news is that God has made forgiveness of all of our trespasses possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're going to put a scripture up on the screen, last one for the morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. And it says this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's trespasses against them. I'm sorry, they've put up a a different version for some reason than the notes I provided. Um, So just listen to it. I'll just read this to you. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's trespasses. Same Greek word, paraptuma against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. I want you to think about this for a moment, church. God was in Christ. That means that God was born into a human body in the person of Jesus Christ. God was in Christ. And what was he doing when when he was in Christ? Well, he was reconciling the world to himself. Reconciliation is a wonderful thing. And most of us have experienced this in life where you 've you 've either done something to someone else or they 've done something to you, and it 's created a, a rift it 's created a barrier between you. you might have been great friends you might have been family members, but something 's taken place and, and, and the the friendship or, or the relationship is not what it used to be. but then you work hard or they work hard or you work hard together at bringing reconciliation, and so you get rid of the hatred and the enmity and and, and you, you restore that friendship, or you restore that relationship. The Bible says that we were all enemies with God because we have committed sins of omission and commission, but that in Jesus, all of those things are forgiven. And so we're brought back and we're reconciled to God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. Just think about that for a moment. What a wonderful message. God was not finger-pointing to the human race. It's very profound because, you know, a lot of people, this is their vision of God. They think of God as sitting on a throne and, and he's got an angel next to him and the angel has got a pad and a pen and they're looking down on the human race and they're keeping score, looking down. Jimmy Day... Jimmy should have helped Emma do the dishes, but he didn't. Sin of omission. And then he does something else that he shouldn't have done, and and it's all marked down there. You know, mate, you got a whole page. It's just chock-a-block. It's just so full, isn't it? Yeah. And we're all the same, but you know what? God is not like that because this scripture says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them and then it goes on and it says and he has given us the message of reconciliation I want to say to you you know by and large that's not the message Australians are hearing from the church they hear us making our judgmental finger-pointing statements Um, and maybe you've been guilty of that when you catch up with friends or family members and their behavior doesn't match up to the word of God if they're not Christians it's none of your business the Bible says, Paul makes it really clear in 1 Corinthians 5, he said, uh, our job is not to judge the world. Yeah. Our, our job is actually to make sure everything's okay in the church. Yeah. And yet we flip these roles somewhere along the line where, you know, we've got priests, that they reckon that conservatively 15% of priests have been guilty of sexual abuse against kids, but at the same time they've been pointing the finger at gay and lesbian people and saying, you can't have marriage. Where, where, where is the, is anyone spot the contradiction here? It's let's get our own house in order before we start pointing the finger and telling other people what they can and cannot do He said, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting people's trespasses and the message that he's given to the church is that message It's the message of reconciliation. It's the same thing that Jesus did when he was on this planet. We are now the body of Christ and we should be acting like Jesus on this planet as well. We've got a message of good news that we take to the planet. We've got a message of good news that we take to people. God's not counting your trespasses. He's provided a way of forgiveness through the death and resurrection of his son. He actually loves you and wants to call you into relationship with himself. That's the Christian message. I'm going to finish up by telling you a story that really fleshes out this beautiful sense of reconciliation and forgiveness. And it's about a a lady, actually, uh, in the part of America that Tina is from. As I mentioned before, she's from from Georgia. And uh, the story comes from the time of the integration, because back, of course, in the uh, early to middle part of last century, black and white were segregated uh, in the United States, much the same as they were in South Africa. And uh, integration began, but, of course, it didn't, take, it didn't just happen overnight. You know, no one just got up and said, OK, so from now on, black and white are all going to live together. There was still a lot of hard feeling on both sides, and there still is in parts of the States. Uh, so it didn't take a long time uh, to work all of that hurt and pain through. But in the early days of the integration, there was an African-American woman who was the first lady to move, the first black lady to move into a white community. And she moved in next door to this elderly white lady who would not talk to her because she was black, didn't like her, would have nothing to do with her. And every day, this lady would collect poo, and I'm not talking about Winnie the Pooh, I don't know if it was her own or her dog's or a combination of both, but she would get feces and she would throw it over the fence. And the African-American lady never retaliated. She just collected. A number of years later, years, with this white lady doing this horrible thing every day, The black lady found out that the white lady had had a heart attack and so she decided to go over and pay her a visit and she took this magnificent bunch of roses. Some of you can see the end of the story already. She'd been collecting and using it as fertilizer and grown these beautiful blooms and she'd taken them over to her white neighbor. Let me tell you, it broke down every barrier right then the neighbour apologised and they were reconciled they never would have been reconciled if the African American lady had collected the crap and thrown it back over the fence and that's the choice we have in life because all of us have the ability to throw crap at other people and forgive me for being blunt but I've always wanted to say crap in church (laughs) and I'm so happy that I finally have It's like a little dream come true right today, you know. And some people will throw crap at you. And we have a choice right there, either to chuck the crap back or to turn it into roses. And I can tell you what smells a whole lot better. Let's be givers of roses, not chuckers of crap. Amen? Amen. Fantastic. Let's all stand together. We're going to put the Lord's Prayer on the screen. And uh, as we draw this series to a conclusion... I want us to say this prayer together. Amen? Let's say it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's put our hands together and give Jesus a standing ovation, shall we?